0: Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside my co-host, Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for joining us today. Aubrey, all anybody could talk about these days in Illinois are the masks, especially those of us who have kids in school. So let me give you the background and then love to know what's going on at your kid's school and eventually Mm -hmm. what do we think of all of this? So... Uh, I believe it was on Friday, maybe over the weekend, the uh, a, a downstate judge ruled basically uh, against uh, Governor Pritzker's mask, mask mandate for schools. And so immediately uh, a bunch of schools, especially the ones that were in the lawsuit, a lot of private schools specifically, but some public schools uh, immediately overturned stopped. They sent emails out. You don't need to wear a mask. On mask, Monday, optional. mask optional. Yes. Uh, my home school district where my kids are, we got an email that said. Uh, We're going to wait and see how this actually plays out because the governor has, you know, filed an immediate injunction or a stay. So so they're like, we're going to wait. We weren't on the lawsuit and this and that. But I know like District 200 in Wheaton, kind of closer to where you and I live. They went mask optional immediately. Right, and right. so uh, what did your school district? Have, where uh, your same kids are? as
1: yours. We got emails that said, look, we weren't part of this lawsuit. We're keeping things consistent. We know changes will come. We hope changes will come. But right now we're being consistent, basically for consistency's sake. Yes, right yes. now, uh, let's not upset any tidal waves until we absolutely have. Start any tidal waves till we have to. And then
0: I think place. And then I saw in Geneva, they canceled classes today. That to is try wild. To you told out, me that. Yeah. And wow. To figure out what to do. To figure out what to do. And then on top of that. Uh, It really seems like we are on the backside of this whole Omicron variant. And uh, Governor Pritzker, even at the end of last week, he noted that COVID-19 cases have dropped 51 percent in a week in Illinois. Uh, It says uh, there have been a 31 percent decline in hospitalizations. And a 57% decline from the all-time record set in mid-January. So everything's heading in the right direction. And Governor Pritzker himself, whether you believe him or not, I understand people listening have uh, lots of things they want to talk about in, with this. But Aubrey, I would say they, uh, a lot of, uh, Governor Pritzker has said, I'm looking to get rid of the mask mandate as soon as possible. But for a lot of people, that is not soon enough. People are ready to be done. And so, Aubrey, let me just ask you personally, as a mom, you've got kids at school. uh, The mask mandate, things seem to be changing. Just kind of where are you at right now?
1: Um, You know, Brian, you and I have both said I am I am ready for my kids not to have to wear masks at school. That said, I am also very comfortable with if it's decided that's the best thing for the students, if it's the best thing to keep uh, COVID at bay, then I'm like, yeah, that's fine. It keeps the germs from coming into our house. We already had COVID. I don't want to deal with it again. But for the sake of my kiddos, I really hope we're close to the day and age when they don't have to go to school wearing masks.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I've decided I know what's frustrating me the most. Oh, in let's this. hear it. Let's hear uh, it. Because, you know, I tend to be a little more uh, anxious than even you are about getting rid of the masks right now. Uh, but. Uh, here's what I, so the state of New Jersey, my home state of New Jersey, the governor came out, Governor Murphy today came out and said, we are lifting the mask mandate in the middle of March for students. Seems long way away, but he put a date About on a it.
1: About a month away, a month the, and a half. Yep. The
0: governor of Connecticut, uh, within the last hour or two, I believe, said they are lifting their mask mandate in the state of Con- Connecticut, not just for schools, but across the board, Yeah, February the 28th. And obviously all of this probably comes with the caveat, as long as numbers are still, as long as this. Sure. If else. there's
1: another spike, this could all change, et cetera, I think cetera, I've et decided
0: what's most frustrating me is just the, uh, the nebulous no it? You
1: want to like give me a By XYZ. We're hoping to have kids out of masks. As things are still moving in the right fair. direction, That's we fair. in
0: Illinois are planning to drive. Because I think what it's doing is it's causing most, a lot of parents, school districts, mm. businesses to go, listen, they're never going to end this or they're not going to end it till who knows when. Right. So I'm going to start pushing to end it. I think that's what's going on. I think there's a lesson to be learned here about a lack of clarity. Even if you say, you know what, we're heading in the right trajectory. As long as we head on this trajectory, here's our metrics. Yeah. You may disagree with us. But here's our metrics on this date. If the metrics are still heading in the right direction, not even have we made them, but we're heading mm-hmm. we that's the plan. That's the plan. And then we can argue about whether that's too long, too short to this, I think. And I'd love to know what you yep. think. For me, it's this nebulous. Uh, we hope to even Governor Pritzker's stuff yesterday. He said, we we kind of hope we're, we're, we're moving in the right direction. I want it to happen as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And my first thought is, as is as soon as possible. Uh, Two weeks or six months.
1: You know, there is a a famous saying about leadership, and I'm totally going to butcher it. It might be Andy Stanley. Like, in the absence of clarity, you just make a decision and you lead, Mm. right? And so I think that's what you're saying is it feels like there's an absence of leadership here. And so, yeah, just make a decision. Say what it is lead it so that the rest of us have clarity so that we know how to operate. Because you're right, if we know, like, okay, look, we got three more weeks, we <laughs> yes. can do three more weeks, but if it remains especially if other schools start to go mask optional, and we're the only state in the United States still wearing masks, it's going to feel, like is it. <laughs> gonna feel pretty frustrating yeah. for a lot of parents. And I
0: think that's where you're getting the people going. It must be right now, yeah. because they don't trust that it's going to be in a week or two, weeks. Yeah. there's nothing that's, that's that's told. good, Brian. That's I think, insightful. I think that's a good point about leadership. When there is a lack of clarity, uh, then you're going to have a lack of unity. Mm-hmm. That's an Andy Stanley quote right there. Right. Lack of clarity leads to lack of mm-hmm. unity. We'll make that one up. Or a lack of clarity leads to uh, kind of a void for people. And I think that's why you're seeing what you're seeing right now. Yeah. people. Up in arms, going crazy. And so what we do want to do is we want to celebrate that we're moving in the right direction here in the state. But, man, we could use some clarity right now because even Aubrey, I I don't want to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy (laughs) for a second. like. You know, I met I'm at, I'm at, uh, my daughter's games the other day. She's yeah. playing volleyball and the kids have to wear masks, but their masks are literally below.
1: I mean, they're not really wearing. Them. I talked to yeah. somebody else yeah. the other
0: day who went to a basketball game mm-hmm. and the kids had to be in masks in the basketball game. But one gym over the wrestlers didn't need to because of something about wrestling. And so they were like, "Wait, they're like 15 literally like just over there." And that's what I mean by the lack. Yeah, of that's clarity wild. All this. Wild that's West I, out I, here. That's what I mean by the lack of clarity. And when you get that, people are just going to go cre- Then I'm going to make my own decisions, right? And going to go with that. And that's what we see going on. So we want to celebrate the positive directions we're going. Yes, uh, and continue to push our leaders. Uh, for clarity and some direction of of just kind of where the state is good, going Ryan. right now. All right, Joe Rogan continues to be in the news uh, for for many bad reasons, but also I think it says something about we as people. So we're going to discuss Joe Rogan, his new controversy next here on the Common Good AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on a Monday afternoon. Hope it was a great weekend for you. You got the first workday of the week in the books. Hopefully you're driving home and spending some time with us. We really do appreciate the time you spend with us. Joe Rogan continues to be in the news, Aubrey. He is in the news, isn't he? And I think for some very uh, legitimate reasons, Mm -hmm. but also I think he's a lightning rod. So Mm -hmm. it all started a couple weeks ago, right? Joe Rogan, um, people very upset about, certain people very upset that he continues to, uh, in their minds, um, put out misinformation about COVID. He would, and many people who listen to him, would, would disagree with that assessment, but uh, people some people believe that and why this is a big deal is that Joe Rogan on Spotify has a hundred million dollar deal and he has millions and tens of millions of listeners. Uh, much more than the news, watches the news on a, yeah. on a regular Just basis. Just so wild
1: to think about, isn't it? It is the mm-hmm. world we live in. And
0: so Joe Rogan, who we said last week, we still can't believe he started on Fear Factor, or that's how most of us know of that's him. That's how I
1: know who he and, is. And he announces, right.
0: like, the UFC bouts. Right. Uh, but he has these guys on, and he's obviously super skilled at what he does. That's mm-hmm. why people listen. Uh, and so uh, people were starting to try to, to pressure Spotify to take him off and right. not have him on which would be an enormous deal because he's their number one podcast. Yeah,
1: like that making money from Joe Rogan, let's be honest. So
0: Neil Young and other musicians, uh, not just threatened, asked to pull their stuff off of Spotify. So it's become this big deal for Spotify. And now over the weekend, uh, you know, as often happens, Aubrey, when someone's in the crosshairs, they start digging and start bringing up other stuff. Uh, And so let us just listen to ABC News kind of catches us up. What's the new controversy with Joe Rogan?
2: Podcasting star Joe Rogan is now apologizing for a recently surfaced video showing him repeatedly using a racial slur on his show over the years. The most regretful and shameful
0: thing that I've ever had to talk about publicly. I know that to most people, there is no context where a white person is ever allowed to say that word, never mind publicly on a podcast. And I agree with that now. The apology
2: comes after Spotify removed dozens of episodes of his hit show, The Joe Rogan Experience, including episodes with Alex Jones and former Breitbart editor Milo Yiannopoulos. Rogan has been facing criticism for sharing misinformation about COVID, leading artists, including Neil Young, to pull their music from the streaming platform. Rogan reportedly signed a $100 million deal with Spotify in 2020. The company CEO in a letter to employees Sunday said he does not believe that silencing Joe is the answer. Other comics and podcasters also coming to Rogan's defense. Whitney Cummings tweeting, comedians did not sign up to be your hero. Stay focused on the people we pay taxes to, to be moral leaders.
3: Even if everything he said was 100% right, you still shouldn't take medical advice from a comedian doing a podcast. You can't go. Well, I used to host Fear Factor, and now he gives me my medical advice.
2: Spotify says it is now adding content advisories to COVID-related podcasts.
0: So that's the background there, yeah. Aubrey. That's, uh, rather than us explain it, I think that is helpful. So I have lots of thoughts on here. Uh one is I'll just put this out there. I'm not a huge Joe Rogan fan. I got sure. lots of friends who listen to yes. him. I've never listened to one of his podcasts. So yeah. what I may say in his defense or not his defense is not out of like
3: He's fandom. my guy, oh, right? Right, right, like, right. The next
0: Joe Rogan podcast I listen to will actually be the first Joe Rogan okay, podcast. Okay, fair, I fair. To. Uh uh two, let's just put it out there right now. Uh the use of the N word is never okay. Uh, now, Joe Rogan apologized, said, I now realize that, you know, they're yes. whatever. So you've yes. talked about apologies and what I means- do.
1: I Again, I'm also not a Joe Rogan fan. But I appreciate that was an apology apology. Yes. That wasn't a non-apology apology. So I, I appreciate
0: that. So but now some more stuff happened, right? The Rock. He came out. He's friends with Joe Rogan, mm-hmm. but basically kind of denounced him a little <laughs> bit. Like, oh, okay. I don't support what he did. Of course. And now all the Joe Rogan fans started finding old things The Rock said as a wrestler or this oh, or that. And you're like, Oh, wow this end. And so, Aubrey, understanding the bigger deal and what we've already said about this, I feel like this is a prime example of selective outrage.
1: Mm, Interesting. Spotify knew
0: all of this stuff when they signed him. Right. All of these things have been out there since Joe Rogan said them, yes. people have known these things about Joe Rogan. And yet he got this contract. He has these hundred million listeners. Yes. You can't help but go, wait, this is because he spoke out about COVID. Like now he, there's a witch hunt on him. And I don't want to make him the victim at all. Right. He, He's what clearly he did, not
1: a victim. What yeah. he did
0: was wrong. But, Aubrey, I think one of the things that bothers me most about our culture on the left and on the right We're equal on this one Mm -hmm. is selective outrage. Interesting. I'm going to just destroy the people that I don't agree with and I don't like. And now we have all these things. And now you go back 30 years to something a politician said, something a comedian said. There's many comedians who have said things that should get them fired who now have late night shows and other things back in the day. I don't know, Aubrey. Help me. Talk me off a ledge. Selective outrage. Sometimes cancel culture and all of this feels like it's going to be the undoing of our culture. So
1: do, so do you think if Spotify was going to pull it, they should have pulled it before the controversy because now it feels like a PR stunt yes. on Spotify's part? Yeah. Yeah. And,
0: and I, again, he's not a victim. In fact, he's already been offered $100 million by another podcast yeah, he's, platform. No, to no, no, come no. On. He's not a victim. He's not hurting. He's fine. But we live in this culture now where... Uh, this, bi- you know, what can we rile up? And now we're going to all search everything this person has ever mm. written, said, done. And again, what he said <sighs> is terrible. He yeah. apologized for it. You can decide what you think about yeah. the apology. But we talk about it often in the show. The, the cancel culture, selective outrage—everybody yeah. that I don't agree with is my enemy, and right. I'm going to destroy them. Right. This is seeping into the church. If you've been on Christian Twitter, if you've been anywhere, you know this is what's happening in the in the evangelical world as mm. well. I don't know. I, I don't feel it's it's slowing down. It's only speeding up, and I don't know the end result for us as a culture because nobody again. Caveat, what he did was bad, but nobody can stand up to this sort of pressure. If they want to cancel you, you can figure out ways to cancel everybody just about. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I, I, the selective outrage rather than also turning the finger at people in your own tribe, I think is so dangerous right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is a complicated one, right? Because you can't. I mean, I do think there's a there's a place to de-platform someone, especially mm-hmm. when you find out they've been a racist. Yep. OK, Period. That said, I totally see where you're coming from, Brian, that it, that it, this feels like a picture of everything that's going on, even with the books being banned. Mm-hmm. This feels like the same yes, thing. Yes. And so at what point is it OK for someone who you don't agree with, who you don't like, who you're turned off by to allow to say what they want to say and. Um, because you're also going to defend it on the other side as well. I mean, I think yeah. it's a it's a very nuanced conversation, and it's and hard.
0: It's difficult. Yeah. I just I don't like the trajectory of the culture, but I also don't like the trajectory of the church, mm. in which it feels like an evangelicalism. It's a mirror of society where if anybody disagrees with me, even over things that are okay disagreeing about, yeah. we're going to try to destroy them. We're going to try to... Uh, deplatform them, right. right? Like you said, there are definitely times to be deplatformed. Yes, They're definitely. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm, I'm trying to be like, yeah, no, they believe this nuance or this, you know, mm-hmm. they believe this about, and, and and trying to just, I always go back to what our friend Jim Dennison has said, right? Like. Can we uh, respectfully, I disagree, the Mm, need of civility. Again, not saying what Joe Rogan said. I I would like to think he's truly sorry. Yeah. And he's never going to say the word again on his his podcast ever, even in the background, but at least on his podcast. Yeah. We'd like to give him that shot. But it just feels weird right now. And this is what we do on both sides. And I would like to think the church could be a little bit more of a bridge. Mm, And uh, we shall see. We shall see. Coming up next. We're going to give you some encouragement. Late night comic Stephen Colbert kind of shared his faith on his show Fascinating. the other day. We're going to listen to that audio next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for joining us today. I don't stay up late enough anymore to watch any of the late night shows, right? Whether it be Fallon or Kimmel. Does that mean or we're Colbert? officially old?
1: Because I go to bed before 100%. they. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So you got
0: Colbert, you got Fallon, mm-hmm. uh, and you've got Kimmel. So yes. if you were watching one on a regular basis, which would it be? Fallon
1: for me. He's so funny. I do like Colbert a lot, though.
0: And I also like Kimmel, but I think I tended towards Fallon with some of his, like, thank you notes. Yeah,
1: and, and- he does funny little skits and songs That's and right. stuff. That's
0: right. Yeah. That's right. So. Uh, Stephen Colbert, though, is is a pretty outspoken, he calls himself a Catholic Christian. Yes. Uh, and over the years, he's been very outspoken about that. Uh and he had on uh the singer Dua Lipa the mm-hmm. other day. Uh and she kind of started interviewing him. And we're gonna listen to the clip because it's it's been flying around social media uh because he kinda Uh, He went head on like somebody like him. You would think with the question he's asked here, basically about how does his faith influence his comedy and vice versa? You would think he would dodge that question. Mm -hmm. He's got he wants as big an audience as he can get. He's got uh, uh, advertisers to Mm -hmm. worry about. You would Mm -hmm. think, oh, let me you know, you would think he would be like, hey, I'm the one asking the questions here today. Instead, he gave such an insightful answer that I would like for us to to discuss. Here's Stephen Colbert with Dua Lipa.
2: I was wondering, does your faith and your comedy ever overlap, <laughs>
1: and does one ever win out?
3: I think ultimately, us all being mortal, the faith will win out at the end. <laughs> but I certainly hope when I get to heaven, Jesus has a sense of humor. But I will say this. I will say this. Uh, someone was asking me earlier about what I. This is this relates to faith because my faith is involved with. I'm, I'm a Christian and a Catholic, and that's re- re- always connected to the idea of um, love and sacrifice being somehow related, and giving yourself to other people, and that death is not defeat. If you if you can. See where I'm getting at there. Someone asked me earlier, what movie did I really enjoy this year? And I said, well, I really like Belfast, which is Kenneth Branagh's story of his childhood. And one of the reasons I love it is that I'm Irish and uh, Irish-American. And it's such an Irish movie. um, And I think this is also a Catholic thing because it's, it's funny and it's sad. And it's funny about being sad. In the same way, that sadness is like a little bit of an emotional death, but not a defeat if you can find a way to laugh about it. Because that laughter keeps you from having fear of it. And fear is the thing that keeps you from turning to evil devices to save you from the sadness. As Robert Hayden said, we must not be frightened or cajoled into accepting evil as our deliverance from evil. We must keep struggling to maintain our humanity, though monsters of abstraction threaten and police us. So if there's some relationship between my faith and my comedy, it's that no matter what happens, you are never defeated. You must understand and see this in the light of eternity and find some way to love and laugh with each other. I mean, a couple of things, Aubrey. First of all, uh, he's brilliant.
1: Literally, that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, I don't think I knew the dude is
0: brilliant. Because he's thinking some of these off the top of his head. Yes. He's talking about this and this. Yes. Uh, but secondly, that is and probably an intimidating question that he, I would guess, hasn't been asked a ton. How does your faith in your comedy yeah. also?
1: Especially like live on his show.
0: Yep. Um, mm-hmm. To, uh, kind of parenthetically, what's going on in Dua Lipa's life that, that she's asking, asking that question? I'd love to probe that and hear that a little bit, like what's going on in her life. But, Aubrey, this idea that death is not defeat, we need to see things in light of the eternal. Yeah. But that allows us, he kind of says, to laugh and to have comedy and to have perspective Um I thought was brilliantly said and is something you and I talk about here much less uh, in a much less wise and whimsical way. Right. Uh, that that is that eternal perspective that says death is not defeated. Paul's words to the Corinthians. Death does not win. Mm-hmm. So therefore, we can stand firm. And Stephen Colbert says, therefore, we can also laugh like we can also yeah. look at the world yeah. and not be overwhelmed. Yeah. I was really taken aback from what he had to say. What would you think when you heard this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I have known that he's kept Catholic, I did not know that he expressed himself publicly or called himself publicly Christian, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. self-identified as a Christian. (laughs) Um, And I thought, one, wow, uh, that's incredible. But two, like you, Brian, I I think I was like, wow, he has just said so eloquently and so beautiful um, without coming across as condemning and judgmental of other people Like one of the most powerful things about the gospel, which is because of Jesus, death won't win. Mm -hmm. Because of Jesus, we can have eternal perspective. Mm -hmm. Because of Jesus, we can look at something that seems awful and tragic and terrible and actually laugh, not in a like, ha, 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 that's a funny way, but in a like, oh, we know that's not the end Mm -hmm. because we know what the real story is. And I just thought this was such a interestingly a really explicit way to explain the gospel Mm -hmm. in in a unique way right and compelling and beautiful and i you know i know some people were mad that he didn't talk about sin and god's judgment and things like that (laughs) but i actually think this is a really really compelling way to present the gospel to Let's be honest, millions of people watch yeah,
0: it. Yeah, Tim Keller hopped on Twitter and talked about this being a beautiful uh picture of contextualization, mm, of taking wow. the gospel and speaking it into a certain context. This this context being that of comedy and show Good. business and this yeah. and that. But you're right. Uh, I referenced it earlier Paul's words to the Corinthians. I think it's first Corinthians 15 where he says, uh, where o oh death is your victory, where o oh death is your sting. This the you know, the sting of death is sin. Uh, and he says, thanks be to God, because we have victory through our Lord Jesus yeah. Christ. Amen. Right. Like that is the good news of the gospel or much of it. And and then he says, and I always love because it doesn't the chapter doesn't. End, and then he says, therefore, stand firm. Let nothing move. You always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because, you know, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Like, why do we stand firm? Why do mm. we keep going? Why do we labor? In Stephen Colbert's words, why do we laugh? Why do we tell jokes? Why, why do, do we, we do Yes, this? yeah. Because of the victory that we have mm. in Jesus. And we, you and know, I talk about this all the time, the struggle of the already not of yet. Of course. That we have the victory, but we still live amidst the brokenness yeah. of yeah. this world. But Aubrey, kind of Christ is victor, right? Like yes. This changes everything. Yes. When we, when we really, literally hold on to... The victory of the cross, mm-hmm. it changes our day-to-day lives. It changes our perspective. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I think, especially when we've been in the church for all, we lose sight of that victory. Right. Instead, we just get right. burdened. And this world has a lot to be burdened about, but but that victory changes everything.
1: I think, too, like we don't even realize that um, something like comedy or something like I was at a women's event this weekend and the ladies were just like laughing and being hysterical yeah, together. Yeah. Like we don't realize that those things that seem like they're mundane or seem like they don't actually have a lot of meaning are actually like defiant acts of hope. Mm. Right. We can be signposts. We can be witnesses um, To a future reality in our present days when we do things like laugh or look at something, as Stephen Colbert says, look at something that's really sad, but in a way that's sort of laughing at the sadness or laughing with the sadness, holding Mm. the sadness in perspective. And that those I mean, you know, you think about your daily lives, like small things you do, even if you just like share a meal with friends and you're laughing hysterically. It seems like it's not a significant thing, but I don't even think we realize the fact that that is a foretaste of life mm. to come in Christ and that it's actually like almost like putting a marker in the sand of pain and grief saying like, you're not going to win. Yeah. We are still going to have moments of fun, laughter, smiling, joy, perspective because we know we know that evil won't win in the end.
0: Yeah, And I think about people who were just tuning in. They're getting ready for bed and like, oh no, I'll watch Colbert. And he drops down kind of to this truth, <laughs> truth bomb because bomb. I think what it forces all of us to think about is where do I believe victory is found? Yeah. Where, how do I believe that death doesn't win? Because mm. that was his point. He says, right? Death is not defeat. Most people would say death is absolutely defeat, certainly apart from Christ. And right. so uh, could you imagine you're just kind of flipping the channels, kind of getting ready for bed, brushing your teeth, and you hear Stephen Colbert talking to Dua Lipa going, <laughs> death is not defeat.
1: In what world are we living you're in like, that that what?
0: conversation happened? I don't happened. know what just yeah. happened, but great kind of evangelistic tool. But mm-hmm. I would encourage people out there, whether you've been in the church a long time or not, can you say that? Mm. Death is not defeat. Why can you say that? The answer is Jesus. And therefore, what do we do? Like, what's our response when death is all around us and, yeah. and, and struggle is all around yeah. us? Thankful for people like Stephen Colbert uh, yeah. sharing his faith right there. Incredible. With Dua Lipa and his audience. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host Brian Fromm. And we're so thrilled that you're with us today. Um, Brian you know we, we live in America obviously and one of the things that I think identifies Americans compared to a lot of other countries is the fact that we care about our freedom that's right freedom matters to Americans it's one thing I love about our nation if I were just to ask you what do you think most people think of when they think freedom what would you say
0: yeah, I, I think the first thing that comes to mind, although once we really think about it, we understand that there's much more nuance to this. But I, I would suspect most people, if you went out on the street and said, describe the define freedom for me, it would be the ability to do what I want.
1: Mm, yeah, like the right.
0: freedom to do what I want. Now, once we start pulling at that, be, you know, my freedoms end a little bit when uh, depending on how they affect other people, I'm yeah. not free. To walk down the street and just cold cock somebody in the head, right? Right. Like like that's not what freedom means. But but I think generally speaking, we talk about freedom. I'm not coerced by the government or other entities Mm -hmm. telling me what to do. But I instead have autonomy and I can choose what I want to do with my life. Uh, I suspect that's how people would go with freedom. How about you? How would you define it?
1: Yeah, I I would think that's ultimately true. Of course, there'd be different nuances depending on the different groups of people you're talking about. But I think if we're we're making a general statement, like what do people think about when they think of freedom? It means autonomy. Mm -hmm. I can do what I want to do When I want to do it, kind of that iconic classic picture of like somebody just getting in the car and going down the road and the wind's blowing through the hair and they're listening to music and there's not a care in the world. Like you are not responsible for anybody, but you, Mm. I think that's what we think about when we think think about freedom and, and look, there's some incredible things to that. I want to be responsible for nobody but me. But the reality is... But your um, kids will
0: appreciate that. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, <laughs> my children. Uh,
1: that's why they've driven me to that. Um, biblical freedom uh-huh. in Christ is a totally different conversation. Mm. And and Alan Noble, who was a guest on The Common Good last October, he came on to talk about his book, You Are Not Your Own belonging to God in an inhuman world. He was having a conversation with a friend of the show, Tyler Huckabee over at Relevant Magazine. Our people are talking. Our people are connecting. I love it. They talk about this very idea. And one of the things that they talk about is how there's an idea extremely at odds with a particularly American style of freedom and liberty. You and I were just talking about this, which is that we are owed the right to do what we want to make the decisions for ourselves whenever we want to but Alan Noble is asserting that there's a difference between biblical freedom and this American concept of freedom. And Brian, before we even like unpack yeah. what Alan Noble has to say, what are what are your initial thoughts about that as a pastor, as a Christian, as a leader, etc.?
0: Yeah, I, I think he's right. Yeah. When we unpack freedom biblically, uh, it is not, in fact there's very little in the Bible that says Jesus came so you could do, <laughs> right, like, right. do whatever you want, right? like free to do whatever you want. That is not, and so we're going to need to get into, okay, then what does freedom mean? Mm. Cause Christ says, you know, the truth and the truth will set yes. you free. Like what does freedom look like? He also says, if you abide in my word, then you are my, my disciples and the truth will set you free. Uh, so we've got to get to what he does mean, but we can be assured that Jesus doesn't mean, uh, follow me. Yeah. And then make all the choices you want and not with <laughs> barring any consequences, mm, none of them. We know right. he says follow me. Right. So freedom can't mean complete autonomy because Jesus said to be my disciple you have to follow me. And so yeah. I appreciate that Noble wants to take these two and kind of separate them and go mm-hmm. what do we mean biblically of what we what it means to be free in Christ because if we take what we believe in the West about freedom, and put it on top of what we're talking about with our faith, you probably uh, get misguided.
1: Yeah, Alan Noble actually says, look, there are things you can't do that you're just not allowed to do, even if you really want to do them. He says, you can't do them. This is, a, uh, he's saying, if you're going to live as if you're following God's word, he says, actually following, abiding in the word, dwelling in it. So not just memorizing the law, mm-hmm. but really abiding in it, living in it. That's what freedom is. And that's a radical idea of freedom, but it's from the early church and the classical world. He mm-hmm. says that was a more common understanding of freedom. The freedom is not freedom to do whatever you want. It's actually freedom to pursue the good, the true and the beautiful Because our natural state is that we are in bondage. So, Brian, when does this become a problem for us? Like, when does our sort of American version of freedom butt up against our Christian, what Jesus says about freedom?
0: Yeah, I think the answer is part of what we mean when we say I have freedom in America, say. Mm -hmm. It's very distinctly to say that I don't have a Lord. (laughs) Right. Like the government is not is not my boss, not my Lord. It's, I Mm. have some autonomy. Obviously I have to live by laws that we all agree upon. I've got to pay my taxes. I have to do other stuff, but, but ultimately the government doesn't, when it, when it comes to issues of faith, I do have a Lord.
1: Yeah. Like, and Mm. I am
0: called to follow him. He is to, um, it's under that umbrella by which I make my decisions and by which I, uh, make, um, the direction of my life. And so I think that's where it becomes different. When I say that I have freedom, I often probably mean, Aubrey, that I am the chief end of, of my life, right? Mm. Like, it's not the government. It's not other things. Yeah. I am the chief end of what I want to do and the decisions I want to make. Uh, that is the antithesis of of following Jesus. I yeah. To follow Jesus means he is the chief end of all that that's I'm looking right. to do and all that I that's am looking right. to accomplish. So that's where it really starts to. Separate. When I think of biblical freedom, Aubrey, and this might be a little different than where Noble takes it. When I think of biblical freedom, I also think it means I have the freedom not to have to earn my salvation. I have the freedom not mm. to have to earn God's earn yeah. my righteousness. Yeah. I have the freedom uh, not to uh, have to you know jump through all the hoops so right. that so that I will be accepted. That right. we've been given that freedom in Christ that He has won the victory that we talked about earlier. And so I think that starts to become important as we discuss freedom.
1: Brian, the other thing that's really interesting that Alan Noble and Tyler Huckabee talk about is how um, this concept can also be used in a really toxic way. So we see that it can be unbiblical, but he says it actually can be really toxic. Mm. And so Alan Noble gives this example. Pastors have used this to say you're not your own. Okay. Mm. So they're taking biblical truth. You're not your own. You belong to Jesus. He says, pastors have used this to say, you're not your own. Therefore, your body is not your own. Therefore I can take advantage of your body. Mm. And so it's like a twisting, obviously of what it means. Um, to ha- have our body not our own, like not have agency over our bodies. And of course we know that's not what the Lord means right, either. Right. Like the Lord doesn't mean you're not your own. Therefore, people can take advantage mm-hmm. of you. People, mm-hmm. especially pastors in positions of power, can take advantage of you. No, when when we think about... um seeing that concept rightly biblically we're talking about the freedom that comes from submission to jesus christ Mm -hmm. and that does mean like every aspect of our lives our finances our marriages our relationships our careers our sexuality our our the way we raise our kids the things we consume that all of that is to be lived in submission to god's word and to jesus christ and though like in our kind of selfish, natural state, mm-hmm. that can sometimes feel like, oh, well, that's not freedom. What we find is that actually is the most freeing life there is. It's
0: the, it's the paradox of our faith, right? By yeah. by putting myself under the lordship of Jesus, by giving up that autonomy, if you will, I gain this freedom of grace. I gain mm. this freedom of salvation, of not having to earn, of not having to try to figure out what, what, what the purpose of life is. All of this stuff. I gain that freedom, but it is done by putting myself under his lordship. Yeah. And I think with a Western mind, that's really difficult to wrestle with. Yeah. Like, wait a minute, I'm subjugating myself under a Lord. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, mm-hmm. I gain freedom. That's one of the paradoxes I think of the Bible that, the but we answer that with, Absolutely. Yes. That is exactly what we're doing. Yeah. And in that I receive grace, in that I receive salvation, in that I receive purpose and direction. Uh, and and that, that is a freeing thing. And I think, man, I, I think there's people out there right now are going, I'm just living for myself. I'm going to mm. do whatever I want. Yeah. And that feels so burdensome. Doesn't it? It feels like it's left to my own devices.
1: The life I'm going to choose for myself is not
0: freeing. That's right. That's right. But in actuality, the greatest freedom you will ever experience Mm. is, is in putting yourself, giving yourself to Jesus, putting yourself under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Mm. That is where biblical true, freedom and salvation is found. I think it's a difficult concept to wrestle with, but it is absolutely the truth.
1: One other thing that I just want to end with, Dr. Noble talks about how, but in this whole conversation, we also have to have grace. Hmm. Because what he says is sometimes we can like, um, sort of heap guilt on ourselves. Like, well, I, you know, I spent a day watching Netflix. Oh, I haven't lived for Jesus. I haven't done all the things I'm supposed to do. I feel so much guilt and shame about it. And he's like, look, Grace is so important of this conversation. Practically, he says, I would love to see the church be a pocket of resistance Mm. in this. What if the church were known as a place where people rest? Mm. Christians could legitimately rest. And I think ultimately this entire conversation is talking about rest because we have found true freedom in Jesus Christ and rest that can only come in that intimate relationship with Mm. Jesus Christ as we continue to surrender to him. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about the flip side of a conversation we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about how it's time to go back to church in person. When we return, we're going to talk about uh, the value of staying online as a church. Mm. It'll be an interesting one when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my co-host Brian Fromm. We're so thrilled that you're with us today. Brian, last week you and I covered a story that kind of went wild, actually, at least in the Christian Twitter-verse. Our friend Tish Harrison Warren dropped an article at the New York times called why churches should drop their online services. And and ultimately her argument was one of the church should be an embodied people. That's right. She argued that it was time to be back together, that the COVID numbers had gone low enough that it was time to go back to um, who we once were and who we're meant to be biblically. And, and for Trish for Tish, excuse me, that's a embodied people meeting together. Mm-hmm. And she had a quite a bit of a controversial reaction i suppose there are lots of pastors that wholeheartedly agreed with her and lots of pastors that were concerned that this was missing a certain population of people specifically the vulnerable the disabled the those that are threatened by covid um that can't come to church Mm -hmm. and that um To drop an online service altogether is to not allow those people to be part of church. Her argument was churches should be visiting those people. Anyway, this is a really, really large conversation, but was interesting. I found over at religionnews.com, someone really responding doesn't actually mention Tisha's name.
0: Oh, she gets to it later. Oh, she She does. does. Okay, not in the
1: title anyway. It says quitting online church is abandoning the one for the ninety nine. And here's what she says: With online church, disabled people, including me and my family, were welcome to church in more ways and more often than ever before. Let's keep that up. So, uh, you know, Brian, I think this is kind of the whole argument, and has been the whole argument that actually online church. Met a lot of people's needs in a way that gathering together doesn't. That doesn't mean it's an easy conversation. Correct. And so I um I don't even know really what I want to ask you, but generally, what are your thoughts?
0: It's a tough one because Aubrey, I do hear what what she. I think her name is Shannon Dingle. I think mm-hmm. I, I understand what she's saying, and mm-hmm. I I agree with her. Uh there's a fascinating statistic in here that I can't believe is true but it it you know they edit these and they fact check these she said according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention uh 26% of adults are disabled. Oh wow. So you, when you think about it, that it's a much lower number uh, that that may not actually be true, right? And I know we're talking a lot of probably elderly people and stuff. And mm-hmm. so, on the one hand, Aubrey, I agree. Uh, like, hey, now most all churches have gotten with the technology yeah. to be able to do this. I yeah. know in our own church, uh, we've now we stream everything mm-hmm. on Facebook, on YouTube, uh, and there are people in our church who have been watching who, in the short term, aren't comfortable coming because of COVID, but in the long term. Uh, can't come anymore. Right. And so I do totally get that. And Tish, to her credit, uh, she addressed that in her original article, and she more uh, pushed for um, going back to an an era of home visits. Right. Right. right, So that's how we'll do communion. That's how we'll do these things. But that ultimately the church needs to get back to being an embodied presence. It needs to be people. And Shannon Dingle says, I think most churches I've been to, There's a a, they're embodied only in the most superficial way. I think that's also an issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, Aubrey, I I guess in in the Pollyanna kind of ideal world, here's what I would like to say.
1: Yeah,
0: I would like for there to be a way for us to offer online services and online everything to those who legitimately can't come to church. Yeah. And figure out a way to make it much more difficult for those who can.
3: Mm,
0: And I know that's impossible. And I think that's what everybody's wrestling with. Is it worth, and that's a really bad way to put it, is it worth offering something for X number of people who can't come to church Mm -hmm. when X, you know, 2X of that maybe Mm -hmm. is going to say, you know what, I feel like skipping church Mm -hmm. today, so I'm going to watch it on TV. Yeah. Uh, what about, you know, but it also opens the door to the mom who's home with a sick kid. To this, I guess it all does. That. I don't have a great answer. I would say for me as a pastor and us as a smaller church, we're going to continue offering it. Mm-hmm. But we're going to continue trying to push our people to come back. Yeah. Um, because I do think if you can be in church physically embodied with the congregation, with your brothers and sisters, that's where you need to be. Yeah. That's where it needs to be. But I fully. No, not having disabilities in our family, but I, I get where she's coming from. I totally understand it. I I think Tish, in my opinion, probably went too far to say it's time yeah, to get rid of it. I think so it. too. Uh, but I also understand her reasoning.
1: You know, I think what's interesting about this article, and I think this is the interesting part about the whole conversation, is that um, this author Shannon Dingle says. As for whether or not online church should be an option, it already is, and it's not going away. And I think that's actually true. Mm-hmm. Like, I d- I'm sure that there will be select churches. In fact, I know some pastors who have done this. They've pulled their services. They're no longer doing anything online. Everything must be in person because I mm-hmm. want their people back in the building. I believe generally across the board that won't be true, I agree. that we will see more and more online church as an option. Um, This this article says the logistics of communion practices, for example, are worthy of consideration and planning. Mm -hmm. But let's consider and plan those. Should online church happen? Question mark. No matter your answer, it is happening. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's ultimately the bottom line question. Okay, so let's assume online church is happening. Let's uh, assume online church will um, continue happening and maybe even grow more and more and more popular. Then what do we do? Yeah. And and this is where I think perhaps it's time to stop seeing the Sunday morning service as the mm. only place that sort of quote-unquote counts right. as church. What about house churches? What about uh, missional communities? What about small groups? Mm-hmm, what about mm-hmm. other gatherings where you are around the Word and breaking bread together, maybe even practicing the sacraments together? It's just not happening in your church building on Sunday morning. Can that be just as valuable? And will we see that trajectory change?
0: Yeah, and I think that's the we're a little bit in the wild West right now because all, yeah. the, all of the big churches were online and doing mm-hmm. stuff. But, but those of us who weren't big churches, you know, before COVID we had to get with it. And so now it's become much more mainstream because let's be honest, smaller churches like ours, Aubrey and other people of similar size, much of what we valued in that church was the embodied presence. Yeah. It was being together. Hey, right? we're this, we're this group of people, we yeah. a bigger church. They tend to focus on different things, right? they, they and so for us, the online thing, I think, has become that much more of a, I don't know, do we keep doing this? What do we do? And I don't think it's going away, nor should it go away. But I also think if you're out there listening, going, I just kind of enjoy watching. You're missing the point. There you, you need go. to go back to church. Yeah. You need to be there rubbing shoulders, yeah. uh, You know, breaking bread, yeah. crying and laughing, praying with, worshiping with. You need to be there. And then I think we as churches need to work hard on how to continue to incorporate those who actually can't be there.
1: Yeah, that's really, really good. Shannon ends the article by saying, we have the framework in place to continue to welcome disabled people who worship from home, even as in-person services become safer. The choice is easy. Keep welcoming us. I think that is a word for all of us to wrestle with. Well, coming up next, we are joined by Dr. David Lamb. He's asking a really interesting question. Is the God of the Old Testament angry, sexist and racist? We're going to talk about that with Dr. Lamb when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Monday evening. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. We are thrilled to be ending the show with a very special guest. Dr. David Lamb is the McRae Professor of Old Testament and the Dean of Faculty at Missio Seminary in Philadelphia, PA. We're excited to talk to David about the expanded edition of his book, God Behaving Badly is the God of the Old Testament, Angry, Sexist, and Racist, which is an incredible title, by the <laughs> yes, way. We have so much to dive into. But before we dive into the topic of your book, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
4: Um, yeah, well, first of all, it's my pleasure to, to join you guys today. And um, second, uh, I teach the Bible. I love to mm. teach the Bible And I love uh, my, my little catchphrase is I I love to give others a love for God's word. Mm. Um, My wife, Shannon is, has been in campus ministry for uh, a long time with InterVarsity Christian fellowship. And um, I come from an InterVarsity background. And we have two sons that are in their twenties, Nathan and Noah. And um, yeah, we love, I love my family and I
0: love to teach the word of God. That's wonderful, David. Again, it's so good to have you on. And the book is called God behaving badly. uh, And, Let's just add, let's ask it on kind of a larger scale. Why does this question even matter? Some people might be hearing this, going, "We can't ask that about God. Like mm-hmm. we just we can't believe that God would ever do anything. We can't even ask these questions. So uh, why is it essential that we are actually asking these questions, David?
4: Yes, I often get asked about my title. Um, some people find the title offensive or they don't like the title but that's really <laughs> badly. Um, I, I, my first thing I tell people is, well, the full title is a question. Um, And the second thing I said is, you know, you may not think God behaves badly, but I can guarantee you, know, somebody who does. Yes, that's right. Um, And a family member, a coworker, I don't know. um, um, And so um, I spent a lot of time teaching on college campuses, and I get this question asked a lot. I get these Mm. types of questions um, asked a lot. And the problem is um, churches, um, you know, churches are doing a lot of amazing things, but um, a lot of lot of pastors or Sunday school teachers are a little bit nervous about teaching about some of the harder, more mm-hmm. difficult, more disturbing parts of the Bible. Yeah. But often these texts get ignored, yeah. and people just don't know how to deal with them. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to do in the book.
1: I I love especially the woman that you're that one of the topics that you cover is the God of the Old Testament uh, sexist because I actually get asked this question a lot when I speak at events. I have women that are you know, not necessarily walking with Jesus yet, asking me, well, you know, I've been told that, that the Bible's anti-women, or I, I, I have a problem worshiping a male deity, something like that. And it is this, I do think there's a cultural idea out there that the God of the Bible is anti-women. And so I, I wonder how you even begin to approach that really massive question in this book.
4: Yeah, thank you. That's a great question, Aubrey. Um, first of all, anytime somebody asks me a question about the Bible, about a difficult aspect, a difficult part, one of the very first things I try to do is I try to validate their question. Mm. Um, it's right. easy to kind of jump in and like, like I'm a little nervous about the fact that these people are asking these Mm hard questions on God. So I'm going to Mm -hmm. jump in and try to fix them and try to give them a, you know, a really, I'm going to argue them um, into the right position, um, which I think can backfire. And so what I try to do is I try to validate and just say, that's a great question. And it's usually one I've struggled with myself. So I say something like it's one I've struggled with myself. Mm. And the point is we want to not just have a, a convincing argument where we we kind of win the debate, but we want a relationship. We want to introduce mm-hmm. people to God, cool. and we want to have a longer conversation. So that's the first thing I try to do. When it comes to, to women, again, there's a lot that could be said. But I, I teach the Bible. I start with I start with the first book, uh, the first book of the Old Testament, the first chapter. Um, the first thing we learn about women in the Old Testament is that they're created in the image of God. Yeah. And men, men are created in the image of God too. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't want to denigrate the men out there, but um, I think most men kind of um, well anyway. Uh, but m- m- women, the Bible clearly teaches that women are created in the image of God, and there's nothing more positive that you could say about women. Yeah. And so anything that we read later, and there's some problematic bits later, um, has to be read in light of that. Yeah. And then you know you get to the, the chapter two we find out that the the woman, the, the Eve that is created for the man, it's not good that the man was alone, but this woman, um, the word there that, that is often translated as help, um, uh, King James has helpmate, helpmeet, um, that word is often used for God, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um And so the woman is playing the role, in some ways, the woman is playing the role of God there. These are the, the very first couple things we learn about mm-hmm. women in the Bible, and yeah, there's a lot of problematic this. but when mm-hmm. we go to yeah. the very beginning, we see some really positive, very pro-women things, mm-hmm. almost shockingly so, Yeah, and everything else we read in the Bible needs to be read in light of what we, we find out at the very beginning.
0: Good. That's a good word. Some of the titles, just so you know, this should whet your appetite to go get the book. He's got angry or loving, sexist or affirming, racist or hospitable, violent or peaceful, legalistic or gracious, rigid or flexible, distant or near. So many of the questions a lot of us are asking. Uh, so I'd encourage people to go pick up the book. But David, let me ask you this as somebody who teaches the Bible and loves the Bible. Oftentimes what we'll hear people say is, well, God is this way in the Old Testament and he's this way in the New Testament, right? He's angry in the Old Testament, he's loving in the New Testament. Help people understand the danger of believing in this two different gods, depending on what part of the Bible you're reading. Yeah, also
4: excellent question. Uh, The way I start the book is I say, um, you know, um, how do we reconcile the loving God of the Old Testament? With the harsh God of the New Testament. Oh, interesting. Jesus speaks <laughs> about hell. Jesus speaks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. Oh <laughs> wow, the God of the Old Testament the God of the Old Testament is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. <laughs> um, <laughs> usually when I ask that question, people go, Wait a minute. That's not the way the question's supposed to go and they get a little bit a little bit confused. Funny. Um, I, I think it is easy and tempting to dichotomize, to differentiate the gods, uh, the so- so-called gods of the old and the New Testament. The Old Testament God is the same as the New Testament God. Yeah. The Old Testament sets up the New Testament, and Jesus and Paul both loved the Old Testament. They're constantly referring to the Old Testament, um, and you know Jesus is very connected to well. Yahweh. Yahweh is the name that God is called most frequently um in the Old Testament. So um, you know, there's an old heresy that goes back um almost 2,000 years on um, from this guy Marcion, who basically kind of basically differentiated the two gods. So this heresy has been around for a long time. But the New Testament God is nice and the Old Testament God is mean. Mm. But um we just need to do a little bit more work and There's a lot of wonderful, loving things about God in the Old Testament. There's a lot of troubling things. Look at a lot of how Jesus' parables end, Um, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth. uh, You know, we need to read the whole Bible in light of the whole Bible. Yeah, that's it. If you do that, some of these problems will go away.
1: Yeah, that's really good. And, and David, let me ask you just one more question. Um, What do you hope readers get from this book? Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Thank Um, you. I hope— the obstacles that they have had um, in order to like fully appropriate and a fully fall in love with the God of the whole Bible. um, This book will help them overcome some of those. Mm. Um, I had a, uh, I was speaking at a conference and I met a a student who, um, you know, we were both working at this conference. This was the Urbana missions conference and Mm -hmm. she shared she found out that my name was David Lamb, and she said, wait a minute, did you write God Behaving Badly? I said, yeah, I did. And she said, I read that, me and my friends were college students, and we read this, and this book, it really helped us we were struggling with just deep issues of God in oh, our faith. I love that. And, and, you know, I was moved to tears. Yeah, um, of course. That is who the book is for. Anybody mm-hmm. out there that is kind of struggling mm-hmm. Um to make sense of God, the God of the Bible, and to see, you know, what do we do? How do we understand these texts? And I don't, I don't claim to give people all the answers, yeah. but I do hope the book helps people address some of their questions and make, make sense of the God that they encounter, because when they, they, they fully fall in love with God, I think um, I think uh, they're going to see that the whole Bible is worth it, and it's, um, yeah. it's worth studying the whole Bible, and there's so much to be gotten. Mm. from studying the Old Testament.
1: Oh, that's such a good word, David. So excited. The title of the book we've been talking about by David Lamb is God Behaving Badly is the God of the Old Testament, Angry, Sexist, and Racist. You can order David's book on Amazon or at ivypress.com. Learn more about David and his writing at davidtlam.com or send him an email at edu. David, thanks so much for being here with us today.
4: Hey, it's been my pleasure. Thank you.
1: And thanks, everybody else, for joining us today. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian from I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.